Welcome to Business Unveiled Podcast. This is the place where we help overwhelmed, time-starved entrepreneurs like you make the profitable shifts to get more done and get more out of life. I'm your host, Angela Prophet, award-winning eight-figure entrepreneur and CEO. And in every episode of Business Unveiled, I'm bringing you conversations that will give you the expertise and strategies that will scale your team and business so you can get shit done. That's GSD in our world. So get your time back and grow a business that helps you be present in your life. Let's do this, y'all. Today's podcast is being brought to you by Todoist, your go-to app to free up your mental space. Put all your to-do items in one list, share list with team members, and remember to tag a deadline. Todoist has helped millions of people complete over 1.5 billion tasks in 150 plus million projects. Companies like Amazon, Facebook, WeWork, Disney, just to name a few, and our company use it every single day to run their company manage projects and tasks for clients, as well as internal business management. Todoist has been around for well over a decade, and it is the task manager that you can trust for life. So put down the pen and paper and the post-it notes in your planner and start using Todoist today so you can outsource and delegate and sleep at night with peace of mind that you know that your to-do list for your business and your clients is getting done and getting done on time. And it's safe in the cloud. Give it a try today. Use my link, angelaprofit.com slash todoist, T-O-D-O-I-S-T. Hi, y'all. It's Angela, and I'm back for another episode of Business Unveiled. And I'm so excited to interview probably she, I feel like she's like my sister from another mother because we're both creatives. We have podcasts. We like really think so similarly. And so you guys are in for like a double treat today because <laughs> we can both really, really add some value to all the creatives out there that are listening. And if you want to know how to like better promote yourself and especially for my, my girls, okay, my ladies listening, if you really want to break free um, from the feast famine cycle, which I love this, like I cannot wait to get into the guts of this, you're going to want to listen to the whole thing. And at the end, um, our, our guest today has been so gracious um, to give, give you guys something. So you'll want to stay until the very end. And so I'm chatting with an award-winning business strategist. And you guys, strategy is the most important thing. If you haven't learned anything from listening to my podcast, if you don't have a strategy, you're not going anywhere except into the ground. <laughs> She's the host of the Promote Yourself to CEO podcast go subscribe and the best-selling author Rachel Cook. So we're going to be talking again about how creatives can break free from the feast famine cycle. So Rachel, welcome to the show. I am so excited to be here, Angela. I can't wait to dive in. Yay. Well, before we like dive into the guts of things, like take us back. I want to hear about your journey. How did you grow up? Where have you gotten to where you are today? 
Okay, so this could be a very long and winding conversation on its own, but it's all good. <laughs> we'll shorten it up a tiny bit. So I was raised by two entrepreneurs. My mom started awesome. a soil consulting company um, when I was a baby. She literally had me in the car seat of her pickup truck um, going out and testing property for commercial development. And my dad was an insurance agent and they were growing their businesses from the time I was a bitty little baby. And when I was four years old, my mom got hurt. She was in a really, really bad car accident. So I have an interesting perspective in that I was raised by two entrepreneurs, but my mom lost her business because she was injured and has a traumatic brain injury since then. So I grew up mainly with my dad being the primary person who was a huge influence in so much of, of where I ended up going. Um, I worked in his insurance agency from the time I was a kid. And this was the 90s, the 80s and 90s. I remember when they got their first computers in um, with the green screen and the DOS. Um, and I was in there <laughs> inputting data from the time I was a bitty little thing. And by the time I got to college, I decided um, I wanted to get into business and entrepreneurship because I had seen that from the very beginning. And what actually kind of got me into the world I am today, it's so funny, you connect the dots looking backwards, but my dad hired his very first business coach when I was in high school. And I remember watching this whole thing and watching my dad come back from these retreats with his business coach and being like, he told me, I need to go invest in a new wardrobe, or he told me I need to spend time journaling on my vision, or he told me I need to do all these different things. And I was like, this is so cool. So I went and got an MBA and an undergrad in entrepreneurship and small business, knowing that I was very interested in the, the coaching role and the consulting role. So I did what most MBAs do. I went into consulting. <laughs> And I was specifically consulting small businesses and entrepreneurs. I had quite an extensive network because my parents are entrepreneurs. And it was actually me burning out of that kind of more traditional corporate consulting where I was working with small businesses. But when I say small businesses, I'm saying industrial pump manufacturers or oh, wow. a construction um, companies that have millions of dollars in revenue and you know, dozens and dozens of employees. And I was like, you know what, there's something about these industries that yes, I, I get what they're doing. I'm, I was leading strategic planning retreats for them. Um, but I, my heart wasn't in the work and I knew there was something else. So I ended up yeah. on my yoga mat and my yoga teacher <laughs> said to me, Hey, Rach, I know you're not really wanting to go back to that world. Um, but my yoga studio needs help could you look at things and help me out? And I was like, yeah. And it was like the light bulb moment where I realized there were owner operated businesses, small owner operated businesses that had no access to a consultant like me um, mm -hmm. who needed strategic planning, who needed to understand the numbers, who needed to understand how to project and forecast revenue, who needed to understand how all the marketing actually worked and how to put together sales and marketing processes. But in 2007, 2008, there were no coaches or consultants that worked with owner-operated businesses. Consulting mm -mm. mostly focused on bigger businesses. 
Um, So that was a light bulb for me when I realized, oh, I can do this on my own. So I started this business, the first iteration of it in 2008. um, And 12 years later, here we are. I'm still working with owner-operated businesses, specifically women entrepreneurs who are running creative, service-based, education-based, training-based businesses. That's awesome. And so, yeah, it's funny because whenever I was reading about you, I'm like, oh, she must have just been working with creatives the whole time. <laughs> like to hear that you came from this in, more like industrial consulting role. Um, how is, is that, is it different? Like the, the approach that you take from large, like industrial corporate millions of dollars in revenue to the creatives, is it kind of the same strategy? Well, what's interesting is when you get down to it, the foundational parts of business are the same across any type of business. I think we tend to think, um, if we're talking about manufacturing or bigger industry or bigger financial companies, that it's very, very different, but truly it's not. Like marketing is still marketing, sales is still sales, operations is still operations. The specifics, the nitty gritty is gonna change. But what I found is that when I was working in a more traditional consulting role, what I was doing was leading strategic planning retreats. I was helping them get offsite with their entire executive team and going through a process over a few days to figure out where do we want to be in five years and let's actually as an executive team come up with the strategy to get us there let's get it all all the ideas out on the table and then let's collectively edit them down and figure out what our real priorities are because they still struggled with the same things that small micro business owners struggle with they have way too many ideas and when you have way too many ideas and there's way too many priorities then especially as you're running a team, everybody's going in different directions. They're not on the same page. They're not moving in the same direction. And our goal was just to help them consolidate those ideas and get focused so they could actually get the momentum they're looking for. Well, with owner-operated businesses, entrepreneurs like you and I, we also come up with way too many ideas. Like ideas are not the problem. Amen. <laughs> ideas are never the problem, especially for us creatives. Like we come up with ideas driving down to Target or getting in the shower or playing with our kids. Like the ideas are nonstop. The problem is priorities and priorities are the key to getting to that state where you're predictably profitable instead of being in this feast or famine cycle where you can't tell what is going to come in this month or next month. It is so true. And the funny thing is, is that like I am that um, some of my friends say like they call it entrepreneur itis and I'm that I'm that person where it's like I have so many ideas and without a coach or a consultant because we get a new one every single year and now I even have different people in in very specific fields that work with me and they're like you're going off on a tangent pull it back nope look at this these three bullet points <laughs> And it's so, we, we try to do so many things at, in a year, at least I used to. And then I learned like, you have to pick one and you have to focus. And I, I'm like over the perfection stage of like, shit don't have to be perfect anymore. Like I just need to get the information out there. But what I've learned is if you talk about too many things, not only to your team and your audience, like 
exactly what you said. We're all like chickens with running around like chickens with our heads cut off. And so I think that that's like one of the biggest takeaways just from listening to you and everyone who's listening, ladies, um, make sure that you pick one thing and focus because if you don't, and, and, and I, that it always brings it back to like, say yes to the things that are in alignment with that one thing, or maybe two things. Um, how did you decide that you wanted to just work with women? Was, was it that moment when you were like, okay, I'm going to help my, the yoga studio, or do you just think yeah. that you find more cre- more women are creative or what did, how did you arrive at that decision? Like I'm yeah. only going to work with women. So this owners. arrived over time. Um, gotcha. one, I, I was raised and, uh, came from a very male dominated space, right? Like raised by a, a male entrepreneur, um, very, go-getter, um, hardcore salesperson and coming from the consulting world, I was literally the only woman in an office of 50 consultants. So I'm, I came from a very male dominated field. What I can tell you is a lot of the strategy that men are teaching does not work directly applied for a lot of women entrepreneurs. And there's so many reasons why. But the biggest things for me come down to, one, women are by nature more relational. We are more nurturing, more caring about our clients. We're not usually motivated by a transactional type of business. We want to have an actual relationship with our clients. So for a lot of women, that changes things a bit. The other things that come up um, are how we're conditioned as women. I find that women have mindset challenges that a lot of men do not understand because we have been conditioned from the time that we're little girls to be the good girl, to not, you know, make waves, to not be too demanding or too pushy. Because if you are to that, then suddenly you become a bitch instead of a boss. Mm -hmm. And a lot of women need support, especially when it comes to things like sales especially when it comes to things like leadership, because we were told those are not attractive attributes for women. So there's a lot of things that go into play there um, for women that are very, very different. The other thing from running a business standpoint, and I really kind of rebel against this a lot, especially right now, is this whole hustle mindset that you have to grind it out, work 80 hours a week, um, just, it's all about working as hard, as hard, as hard as you can. But what I find for most women, especially the women I work with, the average age of women starting businesses right now is 44. A woman at 44 is going to have very different priorities than a young guy at 20. One, they probably are in an interesting family state where they have kids at home and aging parents. This is the trap I'm in currently. I've got 10-year-old twins, a seven-year-old, got a disabled mother, aging parents that I'm responsible for. When you put all that on a woman, (laughs) they need their business to actually fit their real life. The idea of working 80 hours a week while also trying to help out with my parents, while also trying to take care of my kids, be a, a decent wife, like these are, these are mixed priorities for me. I find a lot of, um, what a, a lot of the big male 
superstars out there are telling people depends on you not having a family, depends mm -hmm. on you not being able to take care of yourself. I find a lot of women are struggling with things like their health, their energy. There's a reason there's so much talk about burnout and talk about self-care for women. It's because even if we're self-employed and making great money, we're also going home. Like we're, we're pulled from all angles. And I find a lot of men don't understand that because they usually, if they are able to work those kind of hours, they have a partner at home who's raising the kids and making sure everything's running smoothly at home and also helping out with your parents. Um, that doesn't happen as much for women. So we have a whole different set of life circumstances. And I find in general, um, a lot of women, money is not the only motivator. It's a great motivator, but they have other reasons they started their business. A lot of women started their business because they want the freedom and the flexibility to have that time with their family. They want the ability to contribute financially or to be the breadwinner financially, um, but they don't want to do that at the expense of their health, their well-being, their family, their friends, having a full and beautiful life. And that's something that I feel like is unique to a lot of um, women compared to men. And the dominant conversation by men is very much like, go get them, hustle, hustle, work harder. But what if we can just work smarter and focus on the things that actually move the needle and actually make an impact? And then we can go home and enjoy our families. That's mm -hmm. possible. Yep. <laughs> okay. So for all of you listening, like go back and rewind and listen to what she just said 10 times. <laughs> okay. So I just ranted a little bit, but <laughs> no, but it's so like somebody needs to say that. And like, I'm in this same, well, a similar, not exact same situation as you, but like, I don't have real kids, but my, my sister's been sick for years and she's disabled and she's in a wheelchair and she can't move, but her brain works just fine. And she has four kids and she has one that we just moved to college recently. Um, I didn't know if she was actually going to make it because I, I wanted to kill her first, <laughs> strangle her. Um, I didn't like teenagers are so different these days, but it's like, I was helping and, and, and her husband's amazing, but he works seven days a week. So it's like, I felt like I was co-parenting with her, helping homeschooling, trying to keep the teenager out of trouble slash jail. Maybe I'm being facetious, but like, I just didn't do bad things when I was a teenager. And, um, then, you know, my dad passed away and then I've got to care for my mom because she relied on my dad so much for everything, which God, I'm glad that like I grew up learning and seeing that like I want to be an independent person. I don't want to rely on anyone else. I want to have my own income. I want to be able, I love providing for other people's families and providing other jobs for other women. Every single person that I work with, and not that it was like completely strategic or anything, but they're all women. And, and everything that you're saying is exactly right. Like we all have different needs. Men have different needs. Women have different needs. It, but the thing that I find most with a lot of the women that, that started to work with us, I'm, I'm, I, I find myself like mommying them saying like, quit working like that. No, you're not going to answer this client at 1030 PM. Thank you for being so, um, attention to detail and driven to do your work, but there has to be boundaries. And, and I didn't have boundaries for many years in, in my business, one of my businesses. Yeah. And it came back and it just kept biting me in the ass. 
and, um, and your clients get worse. They don't get better if you don't put boundaries in place. So that is so important. And my whole thing right now, my, one of my coaches right now, she's like, what's your theme for 2020? Even though it's like a complete shit show, um, I still go back to being present. Like even when my dad was sick and my sister got sick in the same year, I'm like, we need to be present and you can't be a present woman if you don't know how to walk away from it and then go home to your family. So it's it's kind of a mind shift too. Um, So thank you for ranting and sharing that because I think it's really important. It's really important. Um, So for for all the creatives out there, and we talk a lot about sacrificing things. And so- and, and I, I found that like a lot of women, they don't like to talk about money. Um, they don't like to talk about passive income. Like some women think that it's bad and I'm like, money's not bad. Money's a tool. And talk to us a little bit about, especially the women listening, like how can you make money and consistent money? And then, like you said, without sacrificing, without like sacrificing the creativity because sometimes like you can't control your creativity. Like you said, sometimes it's in the shower. Sometimes it's driving down the road. Um, but how can we consistently build up an income? Yeah. So I think one thing that's really important is to know there are certain things in your business you want to optimize and you don't want to mess with them. <laughs> and there's other Amen. things where you can be creative. So things that you want to optimize, you want to put these foundations in place in your business. One, you want to know really clearly who you're serving, right? We have to have that clarity. Two, we need to know how we're helping them and what our specific offer is. And the final thing is we actually have to crunch the numbers and make sure we're clear on how many people we need to serve with this specific offer in order to reach the goals that we have. That information is your basic business plan, right? One page, put it down, know how many people you need to serve each year at this price point with this offer in order to achieve your specific goals. Make sure that your offer is actually priced appropriately so that you can reach that goal without seeing too many clients. This is a huge thing I see for a lot of women when they underprice their offers or their offers aren't put together appropriately, they end up where the math doesn't work. They would have to see way too many people and then they end up burned out because their calendar is just completely out of control. So you actually have to sit down and figure out like how many people can I reasonably work with at a time? Um, Maybe depending on what type of work you do. Like if you are, let's say a wedding photographer, maybe you're maxed out at 40 weddings a year. Maybe, and I'm not, I have no idea about photography or weddings. I'm just saying if 40 is your max, then you need to make sure that when you multiply out your cost per wedding or your, your pricing per wedding, that it works and you don't have to go above that. But if 40 is too much, maybe you only want to do half that, then you need to double your rates. So you have to sit down and make sure that foundational stuff is is organized and in place, makes sense for you and your life. And you can always adjust the offer so that the pricing works. And that's something I think a lot of women are afraid of. They're like, well, I can't charge that much. I'm like, yes, you can. There's a way mm-hmm. to make that much per client. It means you have to adjust your offer or you have to adjust your, the type of client you're working with. But I promise you can charge $5,000 at a time or $10,000 at a time. You just have to make sure you're thinking about 
the bigger picture. So that's where we have to get clear and we have to have that foundation in place. Now, where we can get creative is in the marketing of that. That's where the creativity can come in. We don't need to be, if you're changing your offer too often, if you're promoting too many different things, people will get confused. They will not follow. They will not understand what you do, what you have to sell to them. They will always be going, well, I didn't really know you did that. And if people are telling you that, like, I didn't really know you did that, then chances are you're messing with the foundation too much. Where you can get creative is thinking about all the different ways you can share what you have to offer, where you can get creative about all of the different types of content you come up with, where you can get creative is thinking about, well, for me right now, one of the places I'm most creative is in my podcast. That's where I get creative. I come up with new stuff all the time for the podcast. Um, I love to run challenges on the podcast and for my community. That's where I can get creative is in the marketing, coming up with different ways to talk about the same thing. And that's the opportunity for creativity. So for people, and, and this was my biggest um, aha, like after working so hard for about 10 years and then getting like an accountant and a manager and they're looking at me and they're like, you know, and I kept hiring people to help me, but I just, you know, kept saying, yes, 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 yes. And then you end up with like 250 plus clients and then you want to like pull your hair out. And then it's like, or, or at least I did. And then I'm like, are we really being profitable? But I didn't think that way. And so that was about year 10 where I had professionals around me and they're like, you're not making money. And <laughs> so do you have like a simple formula that you can share with, with people listening so they understand like when people say, and I'm not a numbers girl, like I'm not I'm specifically productivity. When people need help with numbers, I'm like, I can guide you. I can tell you what I do, but you got to find out what works for you. Mm -hmm. But it, what you said is so important. It's not what everybody else is doing. So do you have like a formula for people to find out like what is their worth or how much should they charge? Because this is the number one question I get from women where they're yeah. like, how do you figure out what to charge? Oh gosh, this is such a tricky thing. Um, it's a tricky thing because what you make in your business is not what you take home. So one, you got to know that like what you yep. bring in in your business, um, you have to take out expenses. You have to take out taxes. You have to take out, um, you know, a little bit for profit. I love the profit first approach. Um, and that really helps me a lot. If you haven't read the book Profit First, go grab that. But let's say that you want to um, pay yourself $100,000 this year. Now pay yourself, not your business makes $100,000, but you actually want to pay yourself a six-figure mm -hmm. salary. Um, some people might think, wow, that's a lot. And some people, depending on where you live, you might be thinking, I can't live in New York City on that. Um, fine. I'm just using really easy numbers because it makes my life a little bit easier to give this example. So first figure out how much you want to pay yourself and then double that. And that's how much revenue you need to bring in. So if you want to pay yourself a hundred thousand dollars, you really need to bring in $200,000 top line revenue in your business because 
some of that is going to go to expenses. Some of that is going to go to taxes. Some of that's going to go to profit using the profit first formula. So if your goal is to bring in $200,000 worth of revenue, okay, now we got to figure out how we're going to get there. Well, let's say you have an offer that is $5,000 and I'm totally punching numbers into my calculator on my phone as we're going through this. <laughs> I love it. Let's say you have an offer that's $5,000. Okay. That means you've got to sell 40 of those. Somehow it just worked out to my example for the photographer. So now we've got 40 weddings. We've got to sell <laughs> at at least $5,000 in order to hit $200,000 that year in top line revenue and pay yourself $100,000. Well, if you look at that 40 and you're like, Rach, there's no way I'm going to do 40 weddings in a year, especially when there's a pandemic, <laughs> right? Then we got to get creative and come up with different things, right? So we got to figure out, okay, what is the offer you can have? Maybe instead of doing weddings, you're going to switch to brand photography for a while and you're still going to charge the $5,000 or maybe you're going to increase it to $10,000 and you need 20 clients to do brand photography with during this year. So it, it's really about crunching the numbers on all of this, figuring out what is the actual top line revenue goal you need in order to pay yourself what you want to get paid. And then how many of your core offer do you need to sell in order to get there? And it just, you make it sound so simple, <laughs> but y'all, it is that simple. It you is just simple. To, it is. And like, I made it so hard when, because back in that day, when I had this like aha moment, we did have so many weddings and events. And, um, when my coach was like, how many do you want to do per month? How many, what do you want? Do you want to do to through the year? He's like, why are you working through the holidays and through Christmas? And like, what about your family? And I'm, I'm like, Oh, a holiday is just another day to me. Like, I don't even know what day it is of the week. And, um, which when you don't have kids and your family doesn't have kids, like, I guess it's like not as important, but then when they have kids and then you want to start these family traditions, like they really start to matter. And the kids start to notice at a very young age, like if you're always on your phone. And so that's where my whole thing is like be present. And so it is that simple though. And so I'm like, no, I don't, you don't understand. I don't know how many people are going to call me in a month. And he's like, no, honey, you don't understand. You have to set goals. And then you've got to learn to say, no, we're booked. Like, like you said, figure out how many people you can work with at a time or go grow a team, which is a whole different conversation. That's a whole different conversation, but we can even extrapolate this out. This is why I love numbers. And this is what I do with my clients in the collective. They learn so much about numbers, but let's say you decide you're going to do a $10,000 package for brand photography and you need 20 people in order to hit that goal. Well, let's say that 25% of the people you talk to hire you. Okay. So that means that to get 20 clients, you need to talk to 80 people. So now we can actually reverse engineer that even more. We can say, okay, over the year, I need to have 80 sales conversations with potential clients for this brand photography package at $10,000. How do I get in front of those 80 clients? Well, one of the first things I tell my clients is let's 
again, go back into the data. Let's stop complicating this and trying to do all the things. All the things is going to wear you out. Let's look back at your past 10 or 20 clients and go down person by person. Where did they come from? And figure that out. Where are your paying clients actually coming from? And chances are you'll see a pattern within the, those 10 clients or 20 clients. You might see, oh my gosh, I am getting referrals from these people. Great. How can we get more referrals from those people? Or, wow, a lot of them are coming to me because they found my brand photography information on Pinterest and they're following all my content over there. Great. How can we double down on Pinterest? How can we run a Pinterest ad? How can we get that out in front of more people? Um, they're being sent to me from this Facebook ad campaign I did. Cool, let's do more of that. So numbers are incredibly powerful and this data is incredibly powerful. It might sound overwhelming if you're, if you're not used to running your business by the data, but what it actually allows you to do is less. I had a client who went through this. She was a website designer. And when she went through this process, one, she doubled her prices <laughs> because she realized that the math wasn't working in order to hit her goal revenue. And then when she went down her 10 mm -hmm. top, her most 10 recent clients for her website design, she realized that seven out of 10 of them were coming from a coach who specializes in real estate. She had been doing all of these real estate related websites. So she went to that coach and she said, can I teach a webinar for your clients on how to have a website that helps sell more properties? And suddenly her business doubled within a year and her husband was able to retire and come work with her behind the scenes in her business. And she wow. stopped doing blogging. She stopped doing all the social media. She just focused on where those clients were coming from and doubled down on it. So... Y'all, listen, focus is good. <laughs> like, it's not a bad thing. And like you said, it's, it's so true when people are like, well, how do you get clients? When you've been doing something for a very long time, like, and you're in a strong network, it, a lot of it is word of mouth, but it's also brand awareness. And so the things that I've been learning too, it, when I get a lot of coach, um, people that want coached, they're like, I keep getting the same thing and I keep getting this, but I want this. I want what you have. Like I want, and I'm like, then you have to put that, th that stuff out. Like if you want to stop something, then stop talking about it. And then, I mean, people ask me, they're like, how did you go from doing all these events to then freeing up your time to doing consulting and productivity? Well, you have to shift, you have to pivot, which I guess like, thank goodness, I didn't know a pandemic was coming. I didn't have a crystal ball, but Maybe. people really needed productivity and technology way more right now than an event. But like yeah. you just said, we can train people how to do online events now because we've been doing them for years. So it's all, oh, this is so good. It's all about focus. Okay. So talk to us a little bit about growth and the speed and how much should you or can you reinvest like for female business owners that are listening how like if people are growing too fast like talk to us a little bit about how much the reinvest because i didn't understand yeah. this for the longest time about like reinvesting back into yourself or into a team or how to grow and yeah. what is a good speed of growth is there i think this is an incredibly 
um, personal question because honestly, the speed of growth depends on your comfort level with growth. And there's a lot of talk right now about rapid growth. And the online world has really talked about this a lot. But I mean, really, if we look at the startup world, which is where I tend to get a lot of my information from, um, the startup world worships the idea of explosive growth. That's mm -hmm. what all the investors are going after. They're going after those unicorn companies that are going to be the next Uber or the next Facebook. But really, explosive growth can destroy your business. I have seen businesses implode from explosive growth because often what that means is their marketing and sales have exploded the growth, but the internal infrastructure for the business is not ready for it. They don't have the delivery mechanisms ready for that explosive growth. And when you don't have the operations and you don't have the team and you don't have the customer service ready for explosive growth, it can overload your business to the point where suddenly it just crumbles. Growth is also very expensive. And this is something we don't think about very often because I think a lot of people are thinking, well, if I'm growing, then that means a lot of business, a lot of, you know, business and revenue is coming in. Well, yes. And when that revenue hits is not always exactly when you are spending. <laughs> the cash flow doesn't always even out. So there's a lot that happens here. And this is why I tend to really recommend people focus on modest growth that is sustainable, that allows you to acclimate to the next level you're getting to, and also bring in the team members that you need to support you as you go. So the speed at which you grow really depends on the speed at which you can acclimate and bring in team and train them, onboard them, and have them ready to continue supporting you. And that is a whole other, you know, personal development process that we all go through. For a lot of women entrepreneurs, though, the reason this is a slower process for us um, is often because we are bootstrapping the entire way. We don't often go out and get capital to fund our growth. We're waiting to hire the team until we know we can pay the team. We don't have the line of credit or an investor or something like that to help us cover those expenses until they pay for themselves. So this is something that I think we really have to talk about. There's a lot of people who talk about um, what seems like an overnight success story, but it's because they have some sort of capital in order to fund the Facebook ads, in order to fund hiring the huge team, in order to fund going after all these things. There's a lot of people who are putting their growth on credit cards and then talking yeah. about how much they grew. Well, yeah, they went into a lot of debt in order to do that. I tend to knowing that most women entrepreneurs that I work with don't want to go into massive debt in order to um, grow their business. First, get your accountant on your team and talk about how much you can reinvest and plan for your reinvestment. One thing that we do in my business, um, I plan personally for what I want to invest in for the next year. So I'm already thinking about what am I going to do to invest in myself? And I consider this part of my CEO compensation. So if I need a coach, if I need to join a mastermind, if there's trainings I want to go to or conferences I want to go to, anything like that, I put aside 10% of my income 
as my budget. So if I'm paying myself $150,000 this year, I'm going to earmark $15,000 for my own CEO development. That's my CEO development fund. And that's going to get paid by the business. Then I look at how much I need to invest in other areas of growth. So if I need to invest in a team, I will actually look at, okay, here's how much I want to make next year. And I have this this is what my team is costing me right now. If I want to grow my revenues by 20%, I'm going to increase my team spend by 20%. If I'm going to increase my ad spend for marketing by um, 20% in order to hit those revenues. And I go ahead and extrapolate through all of that. So I actually create a budget for myself for where I'm going to spend for growth. And I aim for me and my business at about 20, 25% growth a year. Some years I exceed that. Some years I'm right around that, um, but that is a manageable level for the type of business that I have, where I'm moving fast enough, where uh, I'm excited about what's going on and I'm able to take care of the things I want to take care of, um, but I'm not moving so fast that we are in a panic state internally because we're constantly trying to problem solve or we're constantly trying to bring people on or we're churning through team or churning through clients. So going back to something you said, um, which I've noticed this and being a mentor at the Entrepreneur Center in Nashville, not a lot of women go out and fundraise and raise capital. And like I'm on an advisory tech board for a women tech business in the wedding industry. And she's been raising money for four years now. And I mean, and getting different, different investors and things like that. But why do you think that women don't feel comfortable or confident in going out to fundraise and get funded? Like, yeah. is there a reason for that? Well, going out and getting investment from angel investors or venture capitalists, like they're looking for high growth businesses. So they're looking for the tech startups. They're looking for something that's going to give them a massive return. That's often not a great fit for a lot of small um, businesses that, that are probably listening, like creative businesses, service-based businesses. We are not explosive tech companies. <laughs> so for uh. us, that is one thing you got to think about. Like those those organizations are looking for companies that are looking for, you know, getting to multi-millions of dollars in revenue, looking for multi-million or billion dollar valuations down the road. They are not looking for um, what most of us are creating. So for us, a lot of- makes sense. Yeah. A lot of the funding available, I mean, one, there's, you know, you can always go out and, and get some investors that are friends and family. Um, there's other type of investors other than angel and, and venture. Those are, those are definitely high growth industries. It's going to be harder, but you could have an investor who's friends and family. You can bring on private investors. Those are all available to you. Um, there's a lot of, um, in women in venture, uh, groups out there that can help you if you're looking for more private investors as opposed to angel investors. Um, and often those are people who are willing to invest a little bit into your company, but you're going to give up a little bit of control on that. The plus is these are usually people who are skilled and who can bring you a lot of mentorship and a lot of advisory. Um, there's a lot of pros and cons of that. The other thing that I think a lot of women don't think about 
is you can always go out and build actual business credit for your business. You do not have to go into personal debt in order to get a line of credit from the bank. You do not have to go into personal debt to have business credit cards. You can actually set up um, an LLC that allows you to go out and get business credit. You have to set it up the right way, go talk to your accountant, um, but it will allow you to go to the bank and say, hey, I need to get an SBA loan or hey, I need to get um, a line of credit from you. There's so many things out there that will help you fund some of that. It does help if you have existing revenue, like no one's really lending money to people who are at the very, very beginning and have no revenue coming in. But let's say, especially this year, we've seen this. Um, I've seen so many people who did qualify for all of the SBA loans that came out because they had existing revenue. And for a lot of them, it was the first time they'd ever applied for an SBA loan was when the CARES Act passed and they were able to qualify for that EIDL. Um, and that's a huge asset to be able to go out there and get really low interest capital to invest back into your business. So there's a lot of ways to do it. Um, it does take being a little creative. It does mean your books need to be in order, but you should have a CPA who's your best friend who can help yeah. you get the right stuff in order so that you can go out there and get that. Because one of the things we don't want to do is jeopardize your personal credit, jeopardize your personal assets. We need to make sure that these things are separate. And these are things no one really talks about, but if you have a good CPA, um, you can go out there and get that support. So I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but a lot of women, they're like, is it okay to just be a sole proprietor LLC? So when you're talking about business credit and getting money, does that matter? Yeah. Okay. You, you will not be able to get that if you are a sole proprietor. You need to go get the right um, classification for your business. Yeah. I mean, I've always... I've, a lot of us, again, we start out as creatives and hobbyists and we're just, you know, sole proprietors going along. But then when you really keep doing it, guys, like you need to go become an LLC and yeah, it's going to cost you a little bit, but that's going to save your ass sometimes <laughs> and you get access to other things. So just go do the right thing. Um, so I, I feel like this, um, this have a lot of people been coming to you in this like climate with are they panicking like oh my god how, we were making money but then we don't really have a process we don't know our numbers we don't have a baseline revenue and have you been finding that like more people are wanting to understand now because of covid and the pandemic it's so interesting because I think a lot of people, I've been, I've been preaching the sustainability gospel for a long, long time in the, you know, steady and slow growth. And a lot of people I think now are realizing how important it is to have that steady, consistent baseline revenue. And baseline revenue is revenue that you know is coming in each and every month that's covering your bases, that's covering your expenses in your business, that's covering your personal paycheck, that's making sure your team is covered, all of those things. Um, I think right now people are realizing how crucially important that is. What I have seen in a lot of the creative space, um, especially a lot of the online space for people who have been getting more into courses and trainings and things like that 
is they have really put so much focus on these big explosive launch events that now they are realizing I am one field launch away from things not going very well. And we saw this in March, April, May. I saw a lot of people in March, April, May of this year who were like, my launch went terribly. And now I don't know how I'm going to pay my team. My launch did not go well, or I couldn't do my launch because of everything going on. Um, and because I had no foundational revenue coming into their business, they weren't, they had to drastically pivot. And you saw a lot of people this year talking about pivoting. Well, the reason is they didn't have the foundational pieces in place. So when I talk to a lot of women entrepreneurs about creating baseline revenue, unless you have a massive audience that can sustain high volume sales, like online courses and information products, you have to have the audience size you have to know your numbers. You have to understand the data. Unless that is in place, then we need to make sure that we have a solid baseline revenue with one core offer at the right price point and you know exactly how many people you need to serve a year. You want to make sure you're mapping that out. If you want to add the additional things, the courses and the info products and all that good stuff, then make sure the baseline revenue that you're coming up with, that core offer at the right price point for, for one specific audience, make sure you're doing the math to also allow yourself to build the next stage of your business. So I have some clients who, I have a yoga teacher client who really wanted to shift out of teaching private yoga and start teaching other teachers how to become more skilled private yoga, yoga teachers. And we knew that her baseline revenue was her private yoga lessons. Well, what we had to do was free up her time so that she could create this new training she wanted to create. So what we did was we increased her prices by 25%. She lost a couple private clients. It was okay. She basically at the end of that kept the same baseline revenue, but freed up one day a week in her calendar where she could then create the next thing she wanted to grow into. So that's really important to be thinking about. If you want to make sure that you aren't in a situation where one failed launch, one failed promotion, one global event, or I mean, hurricane, <laughs> fire tornado, yeah. whatever, like these things are always going to be happening. So we can't be pinning our business on a few launches a year. We need to make sure we have a baseline revenue, a core offer we are consistently selling that we can depend on that's gonna be paying us each and every month. And then once you have that established, you can add on the next thing and focus on the next parts of growth. Again, it all goes back to, I feel like it all goes back to focus. Focus. You have to focus. And so, so for people that, um, I, I feel like a, a lot of women, and again, there's nothing wrong with this until it's like, it, it's gone on too long, but they treat their business like a baby, like a child and talk to them. Like, how can they plan for the business to be an asset? And it's not like something that is that you kind of treat like a child. Um, I mean, you need to care about it and nurture it. Don't get me wrong, but it can be an asset. And I don't think a lot of women have the mindset 
of understanding exactly like what that means. Yeah. An asset is something that has value on its own and ideally increases in value as you go. So another great book, I I can't help it. I'm a book (laughs) lover and I always recommend them. So I think I've recommended um, Profit First. Now I'm going to recommend another Uh one, Built to Sell. Great yeah, book. I love it. Even if you do not plan on selling your business or in your mind, you can't wrap your head around like what that could even be. Your business should have value on its own. It should be building wealth for you. And one of the things we have to think about for our business to be an asset is we need to think about the business being separate from us. You are not your business. (laughs) You can't be your business because if you are your business, then it can't stand on its own. It will never be able to live without you there to provide life support to it. So if your business is going to be an asset, that means a couple of things need to happen. One, it needs its own identity and brand away from you. This Mm -hmm. might be hard if you're a personal brand, but you can be a personal brand and have your business be an asset. Look at someone like Dave Ramsey. He's a personal brand. His business, multi-million dollar business. It is an asset on its own. That is why even people who have passed away, um, their their businesses are still, their name is still being carried on through the business. It might've started as a personal brand, but it became an asset on its own. The brand became its own thing. So that's one thing. It's gotta have a brand beyond you and a strong brand. Um, it's also got to have intellectual property beyond you. Like if you are carrying around everything in your head and you haven't actually put it down to be something that's more formalized, to be your signature process, to be the things that your team does, um, everything is intellectual property, but it needs to be out of your head. So it could be as simple as mapping out your signature process you take your clients through. It could be as simple as mapping out the customer experience that your team helps you deliver. It could be as simple as mapping out the process you guys go through as you produce your content or as you create the website. All of that is important intellectual property. Intellectual property is why McDonald's can charge you a franchise fee. They are charging you for the intellectual property of getting their training and their binder and their manuals for how to run that business like clockwork without them having to physically be there. (laughs) So that is really, really important. The other thing is your book of business is valuable. And what I mean by your book of business is I mean your clients, your client database. If you were to go buy, let's say a yoga studio right now, what is the most valuable thing aside from the brand that that studio has created and their formalized processes and intellectual property, it's going to be their book of business. How many clients they have, how many members they have, how many people are in their database that they can market to. That is incredibly valuable as well. So you want to be thinking about these things as an asset, because even if you don't want to sell it, let's say you want to bring on a partner and they need to buy into it. Um, let's say you have somebody coming to you wanting to sponsor your podcast. Well, you can say, oh, here's my book of business. Here's all my clients. Here's my community. This is what it's worth. And now you've created something that will help you to make more money or grow the business or potentially sell the business down the road. 
Yeah, that's something that I've realized. Like with events, it's um, it was very much under a personal brand. Even though I tried to always say the company name or team, 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 team without the mom, <laughs> which I'm like the mommy of communication, it doesn't really work the same. And so I'm like, I got to do something else. <laughs> like this isn't this isn't a scalable business model and it's fun and it's rewarding, but it's not going anywhere. So definitely taking a step back and really, really thinking about like your future and, you know, what do you want? Um, And you have been so gracious with all your tips today. And you've actually, y'all, so Rachel created a special guide to, to help you. And it, it's to help you create a 12 month profit plan so it'll include mapping out your marketing, your sales activity, um, having leads to consistent clients, and then cash flow in your business. And so if you, which we'll put all this in the show notes, so it will make it really easy to just click. If you go to Rachel Cook slash unveiled, um, and I'll spell it for you, it's R-A-C-H-E-A-L Cook, C-O-O-K, just like it sounds, dot com slash unveiled, and you can download that. Um, is there anything else with that, which thank you so much. Like this is so gracious with the 12 month profit plan. Would you recommend someone going through that before? Like if they wanted to come to your CEO workshops, like, is this something that you would recommend they do first? This is a big part of the work we do at the CEO retreat, inside the CEO collective. It's also built into our CEO planner. So it's a great way to get a little, you know, peek into how I map these things out and a, a feel for how we actually put these things into play. I love it. This is awesome. And then what's your favorite platform for people to connect with you on? Instagram. So take a little screenshot of the podcast, put it on Instagram, tag me at rachel.cook, tag Angela, and let us know, like, what was your biggest takeaway? Um, I love Instagram. So if you, if you tag us, I will definitely reshare and respond back to you. Amazing. Yeah, I I really, I do. I want to know y'all's top takeaway because There was a lot of, lots and lots and lots of takeaways through here. So Rachel, I could talk to you forever, but we're out of time. Thank you so much. Yes. And everyone that's listening, thank you so, so much for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Business Unveiled. Everybody have a great day. Bye. That's it for this week's episode of Business Unveiled. Now that you have all the tools that you need to conquer the world and GSD, get shit done. Would you share this with your friends and fellow business leaders? One thing that would really, really help us and help new listeners is for you to rate the show and leave a comment in Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in and listen to Business Unveiled. You can check out the show notes at angelaprofit.com slash podcast and link up with us on social media so you can share your biggest insights and I want to know your aha moments. Until next week, remember the profitable shifts and structures you're creating in your business help you be more present in your life. So get out there and GSD.